Welcome to Menlo Church, and thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad that you're tuning in to Menlo Church Online. We at Menlo believe that everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. Enjoy the, today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, it's so great to be with you today. My name is Brett. I'm on staff here with our student ministry. And as we get started, I want you to take a little journey back in time with me. We're going to go all the way back to the year of 2005. You guys got that? Not just any day in 2005, a frigid winter afternoon in Madison, Wisconsin in 2005. This day, I was a freshman in college and I was sitting in my theater 120 class when our conversation about the assignment we had to do in preparation for that day turned into a conversation about faith and about the validity of the Bible. Now, me being somebody who grew up in the church and whose only real theater experience was playing baby Jesus three months after birth, you would think that this was a conversation that was right up my alley. But as the conversation took place, there was one person in the room who stayed silent me. Now across the room from me sat one of my good friends who I went to church with uh, regularly, and she was very vocal about her faith. She was very vocal about speaking up, answering any questions, and when she shared, people would share things back, and went back and forth. And the whole time this conversation happened, she was looking at me as if saying like, Brett, are you kidding me? Are you really going to sit there in silence? I really could use some help right now. But I just sat there. I sunk deeper into my seat, avoided eye contact and thought, just please, please don't ask me a question. Have you ever had a moment like that? Maybe it's not in class, but maybe it's at the store or at work or at a kid's sporting event or maybe even across the street at Pete's. When the door opens for a spiritual conversation and you're faced with the choice, do I lean in or do I just put my head down and keep moving forward? Today we're wrapping up this series we've been in the past couple weeks called Real Talk, in which we're looking at and we're talking about how do we actually have real faith conversations in our everyday lives. Because having these sorts of conversations is a key part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' final words to his followers that we read in Matthew were this. He says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Jesus' final words were, go and talk about life with me. Go and tell people about what life with me is all about. So as we're in this series, we're not in this series because we want anybody to feel guilty or anybody to feel ashamed that they don't share. And I am oftentimes in the same boat. Instead, we're doing this series because we want to talk about what are some of the reasons why we don't share in order to think about how can we as a church be part of the group that is shifting this trend. Don Everett, who kicked off this series a couple weeks ago, he did some research with the Barna Group, and they found that there's a trend within followers of Jesus that instead of leaning into conversations, they actually tend to be responding in the same way that I responded that day in my class that people actually talking about their faith is becoming the exception and not necessarily the norm. But you know, when you think about 
being a follower of Jesus, or you think about sharing your faith, sometimes we wanna think like, when is a natural time to do that? Well, I'm gonna say that the most natural time of the year to do that is Christmas. I mean, think about it. At Christmas, people all over the world are celebrating the birth of Jesus. Yeah, sure, we talk a lot about Santa, we talk a lot about presents, but then you turn on the radio and you hear Christmas songs everywhere you go. They're in the stores. You drive down the street, you see nativities all over the place. You turn on the TV, and even in one of the 136 Hallmark Channel movies, you hear about Jesus from time to time. If ever there was an easy or maybe more natural time of the year to share about your faith, it's Christmas. You know, this was true for the very first Christmas as well. Last week, Eugene talked with us about the shepherds and how when the shepherds were on the, on the field watching over their sheep at night, the angels showed up and they said, hey, this baby is born. And what did the shepherds do? They left their job mid-shift because they couldn't do anything but share the news that Jesus was born. And then you read about the three wise men or the magi, and they traveled hundreds of miles because they wanted to see this baby. And they told King Herod about it. And then you read about a guy named uh, Simeon and Anna, two people who went to the, the temple every single day with the hopes of seeing the Savior, this person that they've been waiting for. And the moment Mary and Joseph walked into the temple with the baby, they let everybody know this person is here. They shared the news of Jesus. In Don Everett's book, The Reluctant Witness, he would call these people eager conversationalists. And all that simply means is they are people who are eager to share the news about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in their lives. When I think about eager conversationalists, I think about it kind of like this. Um, back when Taylor and I got engaged, we couldn't help but share the story. Our moms couldn't help but share the story. We, te we text all our friends, we called our family, we posted all over social media, and why? Well, we were excited. We wanted everybody we knew to be able to participate in this joy with us. That's what you see at this first Christmas. You see people excited about something that is happening and they can't wait to share that story. When something exciting happens in your life, you just wanna share it. Sometimes you can't help but share it. So what's changed between then and now? Well. Partially, yeah, culture's changed, technology's changed. I think sometimes for me, when I think about why I don't share, it's because I'm afraid that I'm gonna step on people's toes. I'm like, what if I say something offensive and then they're never gonna wanna listen to me again? Or else I see Christians in the media and they get accused of doing all different sorts of things. I'm like, man, I really, really do not wanna be associated with them. And so I stay silent. But I think one of the biggest reasons why maybe we don't share um, is, that, is the answer to this simple question. Why do we need Jesus? I mean, why do our neighbors need Jesus when it seems like they're doing pretty well on their own? Why do we need Jesus when I have all that I need? Why do I need Jesus when I could literally have a car that can drive itself? We live in a world that doesn't have many needs. And so we think about why do we need Jesus? We think about Jesus as being just one of the 25 days in like one of those advent calendars. It's like if we open it up and get Jesus, it's like, yay, this is great. But if we don't, we still got 24 other days. 
Like, we're going to be pretty good. But for the people at that first Christmas, Jesus wasn't just one of the 25 days. Jesus was the entire calendar. Jesus was the one that they were waiting for, the one who would change everything. And so this morning, for us to understand a little bit about why they felt that way in order to get to the how, I want us to look a little bit at the history of Israel prior to that first Christmas morning. More specifically, at the words from a prophet Isaiah, not, or 800 years before Jesus' birth. Now in this time, um, Israel had split into two kingdoms. Israel is now the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And Judah was ruled by this king named Ahaz. Ahaz, uh, or well, kings in that time, what their job was, was to rule over, to protect, to guide the people. And the way that the kings in Israel and Judah were supposed to do that was by simply following God's commands, putting their trust in him and relying on him. But Ahaz, he wasn't really that kind of king. Ahaz was the type of guy that his life was more about, you know, what does he think is best? How do, he thinks he had the wisdom, he has the knowledge to be able to lead Judah well. And so one day there came this problem where Judah was being attacked, and so Ahaz was faced with this choice. How do I lead this community well? And he thought, I have an idea. Let me reach out to the most dangerous king, most dangerous, most powerful nation around, Assyria, and reach out to them for help. They'll help me out. And so we read this in 2 Kings 16. It says, the Ahaz sent a letter to the king of Assyria saying, I am your servant and your son. And then Ahaz also took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's houses and sent a present to the king of Assyria. Now, if you look up the meaning of the phrase, make a deal with the devil, you might find a picture of this moment right there. Like, sure, they got protection, but at what cost? See, Ahaz, you were supposed to trust in God and for God to lead you. But you're putting your trust in this dangerous, brutal king. Imagine you were people in Judah at this time the person that you've put all of your trust in to lead you has really just sold you out to the most dangerous, most powerful nation. Maybe you're feeling afraid. Maybe you're feeling anxious. Maybe you're just flat out exhausted because your kings keep making these mistakes over and over and over again. And you're wondering, when is this gonna end? You ever had a moment like that in your life? Maybe you're feeling that way right now. But it is in that moment that Isaiah says these words to the nation of Judah. He says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, the light has dawned. You have made a nation, the nation great. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as with joy at the harvest, as those who divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you've shattered the yoke that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, because every boot of thundering warriors and every garment rolled in blood will be burned with fuel for fire. As Judah's hearing this, they're hearing Isaiah describe a, word that they are, a world that they are longing for, a world so much different than what they're experiencing at this moment. And so they're beginning to like get excited about what's gonna happen. And then Isaiah continues with this. He says, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, 
and authority will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be vast authority and endless peace for David's throne and for his kingdom, establishing and sustaining it with justice and righteousness now and forever. Judah, how are you feeling right now? Well, somebody's coming. He's gonna be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. When Judah heard these names, their, their minds would have gone immediately to the situation that they were in at that very moment. Because all of those names were the opposite of the person leading them right here and there. So let's look at a little bit about what these names would have meant to them. The first name, wonderful counselor. A more literal translation of that name would be a wonder planner. It means so much more than simply giving advice. When it talks about wonderful counselor, it talks about somebody who's gonna lead and guide and pave the way for you to life and to flourishing. See, Judah was in this situation because they had a king who lacked the wisdom to lead them well, lacked the wisdom to guide them. But Judah just wait. The wonderful counselor, he's coming. And then mighty God. Somebody is coming who's not just going to lead them and guide them, but somebody who will fight for them, fight alongside of them. I love the image or the scene in The Lion King when Simba and Nala, if you've seen the movie, they're running through the elephant graveyard being chased by hyenas. And then they get to this point where they're trapped with nowhere to go. And Simba thinks, you know, I'm gonna fight these guys, but he's just a little kitten. And so he roars, it's more like a meow. And then all of a sudden he goes one more time, but instead what comes out is this giant roar of his dad behind him. And the hyenas hear this and they can't get out of there fast enough. The mightiest warrior was there, and nothing could overthrow him. Judah, I know Assyria seems to have you cornered. I know you need hope, but the mighty God is coming. And then the next one, we have the eternal father. And I know uh, a lot of times our understanding of father can be shaped by our own fathers here on earth. But for, in the Hebrew scriptures, when you look at this word father, you find that the father is somebody who cares for the helpless. The father is somebody who helps raise his children well. The father is somebody who wants to take care of and protect his children. Who's feeling lost right now? Who needs that comfort? Well, Judah. Judah, this guy's coming again, and he's gonna be the eternal father, and this time it's not just gonna be temporary, it's gonna be forever. And then the final name, the Prince of Peace. This word peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, which means so much more than a simple absence of conflict or wars, although that would be nice. Shalom brings about this image of wholeness, of completeness, of life being the way that it was supposed to be. And for Israel and Judah, when they heard the word shalom, their mind went back to the Garden of Eden. Their mind would go back to the very beginning when life was as it should be, walking with God in the garden, working alongside animals, taking care of creation. That was shalom. That was the opposite of where they are right now. So when somebody's saying the Prince of Peace is coming, they're thinking, man, we're going back to the beginning. We're gonna be walking with God, this is gonna be good. Judah, are you ready for him? 
the Prince of Peace is coming. So as the people were hearing these names, they would have been getting more and more excited, like, let's do this, let's go, God. Bring them right here, right now. And then they, they waited, and waited, and waited. For 800 years, they waited and passed on Isaiah's prophecy from generation to generation, saying, this guy's coming. But I imagine as they're waiting and life keeps getting worse and worse and darker and darker, they go into exile, they're beginning to wonder, is this even real? And then Christmas happens. Then that day on the hill, the shepherds get that news. The person you're waiting for, he's here. Have you ever had a prayer request that you've prayed for over and over and over again, maybe for years, and you think this is never gonna be answered, and then finally it does? How do you feel in that moment? You celebrate, you get excited. There was a reason why my mom couldn't stop telling people I got engaged. The impossible happened. Like, that's how we feel. That's like when you think about the shepherds on the field, why did they leave their job mid-shift? Jesus wasn't just a baby, he was an answer to a prayer that they had been praying for 800 years and even longer than that. The person who was coming who would lead them into light to take them away from oppression, to lead them out of the darkness, he was here and people had to know about it. They were excited. See, 2,000 years ago, that baby was born and it changed all of their lives. When you ask them, hey, why do we need Jesus? They wouldn't say, well, because, you know, he's good for my daily life. They would say, we need Jesus because he is the hope for why we live. He is everything about our lives. But what about now? Is that hope that the shepherds found that 2,000 years ago, is that the same hope that we can have today? Does Jesus' birth mean the same thing for us today? Well, when you look in the account of Jesus' life, obviously the baby Jesus grew up. And in Jesus' first sermon, he says these words. He says, change your heart and your lives because here comes the kingdom of heaven. Change your heart and your lives because the kingdom of heaven is here. You see, nations and kingdoms, they come and go. But Jesus is coming to start something new. And for the people around Jesus, they began to get a little taste of that. You see, the people, they had expected a king like Ahaz to show up, but just somebody who was gonna be much better. Somebody to rule them, to, to defeat their oppressors, to take them into this new land. But instead, what they got was a God who wanted to step into their lives, to walk with them, to enter into their darkness and bring them to light, to establish a new kingdom right in their very midst. And this kingdom was gonna be led by the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, and the prince of peace. You see, well, let me ask this question. When we think about what does this mean for our lives or do we need this, do you know anybody in your world, or maybe it's you, who could use a little hope? Do you know anybody who might be feeling a little lost or confused, might need a guide? The wonderful counselor is here. Do you know maybe a coworker who's feeling beat down on life, who might be feeling hopeless, wondering, can I get through the next day? 
the mighty God is here and wants to fight with them. What about a family member who might be just feeling really, really discouraged and worn out and hurt? Well, the eternal father is standing here with open arms saying, come to me. Or do you know a student or maybe a neighbor who's feeling overwhelmed and stressed out in over their heads? The Prince of Peace is here. You see, while our world has changed a lot in 2,000 years, our need for Jesus is just the same. Our need for Jesus gets greater and greater with every day. And you see, Jesus wants to, us to invite him to step into our world and into our lives to start his kingdom right here and right now. That's why we share. It's not about uh, forcing religion down anybody's throat. It's not about winning a theological debate. It's not even about punching your ticket into heaven. It's about inviting Jesus to be a part of our world and our lives right here, right now, and helping people move out of darkness and into the light with him. So with our time remaining, I just wanna close with a few short tips about how do we actually do that? How do we share this incredible news with the world around us? Well, the first one is this, be expectant. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote this to Christians in the midst of persecution. He said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks, asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter says, be prepared, be expectant. And why? Well, when you expect something to happen, you can be prepared to respond well. There's a reason why football teams practice and practice and practice before a game. If you've practiced it, you're probably gonna be able to handle it in the moment. About a year after that fateful moment in my Theater 120 class, I was in a Bible study with some friends and we were all sharing about how we're not really that great at having these conversations. And so as we were closing, we said, hey, who is one person in your world that you wanna have a conversation with in the near future? So for me, the person who came to mind was my roommate. I'd lived with him for about a year and he knew that I was a Christian, but we'd never really had a great conversation. And so we all prayed for one another. 15 minutes later, I'm walking into my apartment and my roommate is there sitting on the couch watching a movie. And do you know what movie he's watching? The Passion of the Christ. And so like, I saw that, I'm like, okay, God, I mean, I know I said open a door, but you could have at least given me a little time to prep. And I think God was probably up there saying like, Brett, you messed it up last time, I'm not letting that happen this time. And so my roommate was the first one to speak and he goes, hey, you go to church. Is this stuff real? I'm like, really? And so that started a conversation that we were able to have. See, God is, I believe that God is opening doors like that all around us. We just have to expect them. And so pray that God opens your eyes to be able to see those and then also gives you the courage to step into those open doors. The second thing that we can do is be authentic. In a world where image management is oftentimes the name of the game, authenticity sparks attention. Peter, again, back to his letter, he writes, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Give a reason for what? The hope. He doesn't say, be prepared to debate everything. Be prepared to answer everybody's questions. Be prepared to know it all. Just be prepared to share your story. 
Share what God has been doing in your life. Be real, be authentic, let them know about your hope. I mean, where have you seen God at work in your life or maybe in your family or at work? Share that with your friends. What is God teaching you at church or maybe in your own devotions? Share that with your kids on the way to school or maybe around the dinner table. The more we get in the habit of just sharing where we see God in our lives, the more authentic and natural this is gonna come. You see, when you share what God is doing in your life, how you've seen God at work, you're simply sharing your life with somebody else. It's not about winning a debate, it's just sharing who God is and it's making God real in our everyday lives. One natural way that you could do that this week is simply sharing with somebody what you're doing for Christmas. If you see a friend, say, what are you guys doing? And they tell you, and if they ask, what are you doing? Say, well, I'm gonna go to church at Menlo this weekend, or Tuesday, Wednesday. Why don't you come with me? We could even go get dinner afterwards. It's just a natural way of sharing what you're doing and inviting somebody into your life. Now, there are ways to not do this well, too. Let me be clear. And one of those ways, uh, the pastor or speaker and writer John Acuff describes it as a Jesus juke. And now if you know sports, like a juke is when you fake somebody out. And a Jesus juke is when you're having a conversation and somebody says something about something and you decide to take that and somehow bring Jesus into it. An example of it's like this. So you know Star Wars came out this week. Let's say somebody calls you up and says, hey, the new Star Wars came out, Rise of the Skywalker. Would you wanna go see that with me? And you respond, yeah, that sounds really good. Speaking of rising, did you know Jesus? He rose for you. That would be called a Jesus juke. And that also would be called the end of a conversation. Like, when you share about your faith, let it flow naturally. Follow the Spirit's nudging. And if doors are open, step into that. Ask for the courage to be honest and authentic in those conversations and what, with what Jesus is doing in your life. The final thing that we can do is this. Simply be loving. Again, Peter says, he says, remember, or Peter says, share with gentleness and respect. And a big part of this is just remembering that the people in your life are that. They're people. They're not projects. They're people who God loves more than anything. People with hopes, with dreams, with desires, with needs. Get to know them. In student ministry, there's this phrase this saying that students won't care about what you believe until they believe that you care. And at the heart of this is this idea that if we wanna share this love of Jesus, we need to be loving people ourselves because if our lives aren't loving, they're not gonna care what we have to say. In many ways, how we respond before and after the conversations is so much more important than what we actually say in the moment. You know, this summer, um, well, I guess, yeah, this summer, uh, our church did the Serve Your City Neighborhood Edition. And so my wife and I, we thought, you know, that's a really great idea of serving our neighbors. But of course, we quickly realized, like, great idea, we don't know any of our neighbors. We had lived in this place for six months, but we had really only had one conversation with a neighbor, and that's because they go to our church. And so what we did was we got together with them, and we said, hey, how do we get to know our community better? And so we threw a potluck for everybody, invited them to come, just so we could start to get to know people. And you know, we still have a long way to go, but that was a beginning. Relationships started to be formed. 
Take time to get to know the people in your world, the people you see every day at the gym or at the office or at your kids' events. Take time to get to know them. I mean, Jesus said to his disciples, they will know you are my followers by the way you love one another. Will you be a loving people? Will we be a loving church? See, 2,000 years ago, the light came into the darkness and the darkness couldn't overcome it. That light is here. And over the next 72 hours, millions of people all over the world are gonna be celebrating and remembering that light. What if Jesus had a rebirth in the Bay Area right now? What if the people who lived in the Bay Area found out that there was a wonderful counselor who wants to guide them and walk with them? What if they found that there was a mighty God who wants to fight with them, to stand with them, to hold them up? What if they knew that there is a loving, eternal father who wants to cover them with his warm embrace? What if they knew that there was a God who wants to enter into their worlds and bring them wholeness, completeness, and peace in him? This is my challenge for us as Menlo Church. Will we answer Jesus' call to invite people into this kingdom? into a life with Jesus, to share the incredible news that the light has come to it with our community. As a church, let's commit to asking Jesus to help us to be expectant, to have the courage to step into those conversations and share authentically, and to also give us the ability to let his love flow through us into the community around us. Will you guys pray with me? God, we love you. Um, God, I thank you that, man, 2,000 years ago, you sent your son into this broken world um, in order to begin the process of bringing it back to the way that you created it to be. And God, I thank you that you invite us to sort of be your plan for bringing that here and that you promise to work through us and work in us in order to let people know your love. God, I pray that this Christmas, uh, Menlo Church just be a, be, uh, is a place where people see you and know you and want to follow you. God, help us to share your light. We love you in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. We hope you feel inspired, maybe even challenged by what you heard in the message today. Maybe figure out how you might want to apply that to your life this week. Please join us again and follow us on social media to find out all the latest happenings here at Menlo Church. We'll see you next time.